So we wanted to center ourselves on the blood of Jesus Christ this morning as we think about the sanctity of human life. So during the message this morning, I'll be bringing a message on that topic. And uh, when we think about sanctity of human life, sometimes there's, uh, if we're not centered on God's word, there's sometimes there's some guilt, some shame, some, some areas of our life maybe where we maybe have not lived up to where God has asked us to live up to. But we also need God's grace. So we want to thank God for his blood. We want to thank God for what he's done and the, and the forgiveness of sins that come through the, the shedding of Jesus' blood. So I want to start out with, we're going to have a few verses and, uh, that we want to read together. And I want to share a few things for about five minutes. So Ephesians 1, chapter 7. This one's not up on the screen, but it says, He is so rich in kindness and grace, talking about God. God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, and he forgave us our sins. It's because of the blood of Jesus that our sins are forgiven. If we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's because of his blood. So let's go back to the Old Testament. Uh, Leviticus is pretty uh, an exciting book. <laughs> but we learn a lot through the book of Leviticus. And uh, chapter, chapter 17 um, we see this whole idea of blood come up over and over and over again. And if we look at the Old Testament, uh, almost every book of the Old Testament talks about sacrifice. And it talks about these animal sacrifices and looking forward to the ultimate sacrifice. But let's read chapter uh, 17, verse 11 together. And it says this, For the life of the body is in the blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. It is the blood given for a life that makes purification possible. So if you go back to Genesis, when Adam and Eve first sinned, they felt shame and they felt guilt and they were hiding. When God comes and finds them, and he knew where they were, when he calls them out, what's one of the first things he does? He kills an animal. And he covers them with the, with the clothing um, from this animal. And that was the first time that there was shedding of blood in the Old Testament. And all through the Old Testament, we see the sacrifices of pur- purified, per- perfected animals that were required by God for the sins of his people. So time after time after time, we see the altar and we see these animals being sacrificed. And that's what God required in the Old Testament. Because sin required a payment we know that the payment of sin is death so god required the sacrifice of animals to cover that sin so then we get to the new testament and this is where jesus comes on the scene so listen listen to uh, what it says in hebrews i want to read this to you and then we'll look at another passage so hebrews chapter 11 says says this actually it's hebrews chapter 9 i think i got to get there hebrews chapter 9 is where we're going to read so christ Jesus has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands, is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Once For all time, Jesus shed his blood. It's not something that Jesus had to do over and over and over and over again. His blood was the payment 
for the sin that was required from God way back in the Old Testament. And when Jesus came, that blood of his was shed once and for all. And he actually took that blood and he laid it on a perfect tabernacle in heaven at the feet of God. And it's there to this day as a covering for our sins. So look what it says about this blood in, in 1 Peter. And we want to read this one together. So 1 Peter 1, 18-19. Let's read this together. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So no longer was there an animal required. It was a sinless, spotless, perfect Lamb of God, which is Jesus Christ. For God so loved you that he sent his Son. Why? So that he could shed his blood to cover our sins, no matter what they are. So as we walk through today, we want to focus on the blood of Jesus Christ. And we want to set that, and we want to center our lives on the blood. So I was born on December 2, 1972. Almost two months after my birth, on January 22, 1973, abortion became legal in the United States through Roe v. Wade. So during my lifetime now, over 63.5 million babies have been aborted in the United States alone. Now you pan out and you look worldwide, and the WHO, the World Health Organization statistics, say that 73 million babies are aborted yearly around the globe. Six out of ten pregnancies, unintended pregnancies, end in abortion, and three out of ten of all pregnancies end in induced abortions worldwide every year. So many babies, so many what could have been because of abortion. So today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And in January 1984, President Ronald Reagan issued a proclamation making the third Sunday of January as National Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, calling the right to life the first of our unalienable rights and endowed by our Creator, Reagan specifically chose the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, which is January 22, 1973, to celebrate the sacredness of life at all stages. So sanctity of human life refers to the idea that human life is sacred, holy, precious. The sanctity of life is inherent as man cannot create life. Therefore, man has no right to destroy life. From the moment of fertilization until the last breath is drawn, every life has value. It is something our culture has completely forgotten, and the church, Christians, must remind them of that. But here's the problem. Our nation is in the middle of a, of a divide. It's a big divide. It has multiple divides. There are multiple divides on many fronts, racial, political, environmental, traditions, religious, guns, life. And what makes the divide tough for me is that people that claim to be Christians often line up on the opposite side that what, what, what scriptures clearly teach. Abortion is very controversial. 
But I want, to, want you to hear the heart of God this morning about it. So Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. says, There are six things the Lord hates. No seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent. Hands that kill the innocent. A heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. 17 says, hands that kill the innocent. Abortion kills the most innocent among us. If you listen to the media or TV or college professors or philosophers of the world, they are on one side of the coin. But my job as a pastor is to tell you what God's heart is concerning the matter of life and abortion as we walk through the scriptures. And I have erroneously assumed that Christians would come out thinking and, and, and studying the scriptures about what God, the scriptures about what God has to say abortions. But as I've worked with teens over the last twelve and a half years, when I was here and before that, kids that have gone through youth group and grown up in, in, in Christian homes come outside when they get off and go to college, and they come out with a totally different view, one that does not line up with biblical thinking. And many new people come to the church, and some as new believers, and, and some are from other churches, and some are here just checking out Jesus. We want to say, welcome. We, we love that you're here, no matter what God has brought you through or why you're here. Thanks for choosing to worship with us here at FBC, the one true living God. But unless God, and unless the church it's very clear about what God teaches and what his heart is on the matter of life and about abortion. There are going to be generations of people that sit through church services, grow up in Christian homes that will agree with the world instead of agreeing with the word of God. Who think abortion is great and fine and it's needed and it's appropriate for certain situations. There might be some of you sitting here right now saying, Pastor... You can't tell a woman what to do with her body. You're a middle-class, white, evangelical Christian. Yes, I am. And I can't, but God can. God can tell a woman what to do with her body. God tells us when life begins and what he thinks of children and where he stands on the issues. This is important for men, too, because many men, men that I have counseled and walked alongside of, have talked their wife, their girlfriends, and some even their children into having abortions. I've been down to the, there's a prayer house next to the abortion clinic in Grand Rapids. And this prayer house sits right next to it. And there's a room overlooking the abortion clinic. And they have on the walls and there of, of, of women, little hearts and little feet, of women that have chosen their, have changed their minds about having abortions once they came. And they tell story after story about how young women come. And some of them are from Christian families. And their dad has talked them into having an abortion because they want to save face. Or they don't want to face what's coming up. So I'm not, I'm not talking about this this morning to make anyone feel ashamed or guilty who has had an abortion or who may be struggling with, what, where do I stand on this issue? 
So hear my heart about this. We serve a God that no matter what forgives. Who is, who, who, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just. And the redemption is through his blood. That's why we want to start with that this morning. I want to put that right out front. We serve a God if we confess our sins to him. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. He will cleanse us and make us white as snow. But the scriptures say God hates when innocent blood is shed. So let's pray as we dig into God's heart on this matter. So Father, we're taking a pause from our habit series for one week to focus on your word and look through your word on this and what your heart is about life and choosing life and abortion. And I God, I know your grace needs to fall heavy in here this morning. But God, I want to be truthful. And I want the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to be pleasing to you. Because God, you are my rock, you're my redeemer, and you're the God of all truth. So Father, help us this morning. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, so everybody with me as we start? We're going to be doing a lot of flipping, a lot of looking this morning, a lot of verses up on the screen. I have five points that I'll be sharing from, and then we will make a few comments at the end of this. And then we'll have a time of prayer before we close in song. So the first point is God's view. Life is in the blood. The world says life does not begin until breath is drawn, until you are physically born. Come out of the room and take a breath. Then you have life. But according to God, there is life in the blood. A baby in the, heart, in the womb has a heartbeat. The heartbeat of a pre, the heart of a preborn baby originates about day 18 or day 19 from the mesoderm. And he begins beating and pumping blood about day 21 or day 22. Leviticus 17:11 says, "For the life of the blood, uh, for life of the body is in the blood." We read that a little while ago. This is an important deal right there. Life is in the blood. Say that to your neighbor. Life is in the blood. The baby in the womb has its own unique genotype, one that has never existed in the history of humanity and will never exist again. That unique God-made baby in the womb. The baby in the womb has its own unique blood. The mom's blood and the baby's blood don't actually mix. They are only separated by a thin placental barrier. The barrier does not allow maternal and fetal blood cells to cross over to either side. The baby has its own blood. Now you may be thinking, Pastor, since verse 11 states that the life of the body is in the blood, and that doesn't develop until day 18 after fertilization, does this mean that life does not begin until blood cells are present? And God speaks to this. Jump down in your Bible just to, to verse 14. And I'm going to actually read it out of the New King James Version. And it says this. For it, the blood, is the life of flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Its blood sustains its life. Blood is not alive. Yet beyond a certain size, creatures require some sort of circulatory system to remain alive. 
Blood transports nutrients and oxygen to the rest of the body. When all the blood leaves the creature, the creature dies because there's no way to sustain its life. And that's what Leviticus 11 is talking all about. So life is a gift from God. Blood sustains life, but blood is not life. So there must, we have to come to the conclusion that there has to be life before this. The moment fertilization happens, a new life begins to develop. And from that time on, in a person's life, is a continuum. It's the beginning and an end. Everything in between is a process of growth and development. And then as we die, we get older, things start to break down. But we're still alive. So there's a lot more to explore in this area. I just wanted to share that up front. So God's second view as he knew you before and when you were in the womb. There are so many verses in the Word of God that talk about this. And we don't have time to even hit, hit this. It's repeated over and over and over. God knew about you long before you were considered by your mom or dad. Even before you were conceived, God knew about you already. Psalm 139, 14 through 16. Flip there in your Bible. We're going to do a lot of flipping. Most of the verses will be up on the screen. But Psalm 139, 14 through 16. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Before you even had a day, God had ordered all the rest of your days. And he thought and he knew about you. That changes how we see ourselves and how we live and how we change life. And I don't have verse, I don't have verse 17 up there, but 17 is kind of like speaking to me saying, Ryan, why don't you include me? Listen, listen, listen to what it says. Talk about me, Ryan. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God? They can't be numbered. The, the way God thinks about us is so magnificent. So many thoughts he thinks about us. This is so important because the devil, the devil will try and make you think God doesn't care. God doesn't know about your circumstances. God, God, God is just distant. But the truth of the matter is God thinks about you. He has so many thoughts about you, even before you were born. It's crazy. So Isaiah 4.24 continues this, and I want you to hear it out of the ESV version. So Pastor Stucky's going to read that a minute. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. All right, so hold on to that one. Put a circle around who formed you in your mother's womb. And I am the Lord who made what? All things. Now Jeremiah 1.5 says, says this. Read it with me. I knew you before I formed Before you were born, I set you apart and pointed you as my prophet. 
to the nations. Circle it again. I, I knew you. Regardless of the circumstances of your conception, you could not get pregnant. You could not have been born unless God allowed it to happen. I love that it says, thus says the Lord. I formed you in the womb. God has allowed me to be formed. He has allowed you to be formed. I want you to say, thank you, God, for allowing me to be formed. Say it with me. Thank you, God, for allowing me to be formed. The world will give us a whole bunch of reasons why people should be allowed to abort babies. And if we don't look at it from God's perspective, that God allowed this life, we start looking at the circumstances around it. The events around it that were, were maybe not God's best. But the fact that the babies were conceived and formed, who was it allowed by? God. And you know what I know about God? God brings good things out of bad circumstances, doesn't he? Somebody high-five your neighbor and say, it was a bad circumstance. But I am the good that came out of it. Somebody, I want to see it. All right. It was, it was a bad circumstance, but there was good that came out of it. Thank you for being honest. Because there's a lot of that out there. That's so important because the world will say that your conception happened because of this or that. They will throw all of this at us in an effort to say, it's okay to terminate that life. But we are people of faith. People that view it differently because we need God's view on the matter. Look at Jeremiah 1.5 again. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. So much here. Before I formed you, when was it? Yeah, God knew. Before he formed us, he even knew us. Who did the forming? God did the forming. God says, before I formed you, I already knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you. So he was talking specifically to Jeremiah about his life's work as a prophet. But the same applies to us. God knew us before he formed us. And if God did that for Jeremiah, he does it for us, right? And for every single child that was conceived. That's why we celebrate that God knew all about this before the foundations of the earth. Galatians 1.15, another passage but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his wonderful grace. It is the work of God all of our life. Our conception, our salvation, our, our experiences in our life. It's the work of God. God is the one who makes it happen. And then Job 31.15, it's just a short one, says this. For God created both me and my servants. He created us both in the womb. Have I hit this hard enough? There's a lot more we could go to. I'm driving the point home that God knew you and he created you even before your conception and then in your womb. Third view. God's view. All humans are created in God's image. We've talked about this a lot over the last year, so I'm not going to belabor it. But Genesis 1.27 says this. 
So God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There is no other species of life anywhere that has that distinction. Created in the image of God. Every human being bears the image of our creator, God. God breathed his life into humans alone. Remember back in our Genesis series about this time last year, God got down on his knees and he formed man. And then what did he do? He breathed his ruach, his breath, his spirit into the man and into the woman. And he created them in God's image. Every human life bears the image of God. The baby in the womb, the people who disagree with you politically, those who have a different opinion on abortion, every one of them is an image bearer of God, by God, given life by God. Say, I am an image bearer of God. Yeah. Now look at your neighbor and say the same thing. You are an image bearer of God. All right, fourth view. Fourth point on God's view. There is a penalty for shedding innocent blood. Turn to Exodus 21, 22 through 25. Exodus 21, 22 through 25. Let me get there. Now suppose two men are fighting, and in the process they accidentally strike a pregnant woman, so she gives birth prematurely. If no further injury results, the man who struck the woman must pay the amount of compensation the woman's husband demands and the judges approve. But if there is further injury, the punishment must match the injury. A life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. Very clearly, God views the baby in the womb as life. What does it say? A life for a life for life. Talking about a pregnant woman. Psalm 106, verse 37 and 30 through 39. Psalm 106. 37 through 39. I could just look up there, but I want to hear the pages turning. All right, read it with me. You've got to stay with me today. They even sacrificed their sons and daughters to the demons. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, by sacrificing them to the idols of Canaan. They polluted their land with murder. They defiled themselves by their deeds, and their love of idols was idolatry in the Lord's sight. So let's talk about this for a moment. Because since abortion became legal in the United States, one million babies a year are aborted. Now the good news is that number has dropped to about 600,000 and maybe even under that a year. That's great, but one baby is still too many. According to God, killing the innocent, murder, it pollutes the land and defiles the nation. We are midst of a country and a world that is being polluted and defiled. Joel 3.19 talks about desolation and wasteland when it talks about innocent lives being taken. So think of something that is like the most desolate place you can ever think about. Got that picture in your mind? 
That's what will happen to countries that kill the innocent. It says this, but Egypt will become a wasteland and Edom will become a wilderness because they attacked the people of Judah and killed the innocent people in their land. The innocent people. When babies are aborted, innocent blood is shed. Deuteronomy 27, 25 says this, Cursed is anyone who accepts payment to kill an innocent person and all the people will reply with amen. If you walk up on a four-year-old child, four-year-old child, who was, who, 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 and you discover that he was conceived maybe in, in a horrible way, would it be okay to kill that child? The four-year-old child and the four-week-old child, the four-day, the four-week-old child in the womb, there's no difference. They're both living children. And all the people will reply, Amen. God is crystal clear that there will be a penalty for shedding innocent blood inside and outside the womb. We're seeing that penalty in our culture where life is not valued, where we witness despicable acts. Just this week, if you watch the news, baby was thrown into a dumpster. There was more shootings. Old people were shoved down on sidewalks. Just last night, some woman was shoved in front of a train in New York City. Killed. Women are being assaulted at bus stops. A six-year-old was punished by being forced to stand in a freezing cold shower and dying because his organs shut down in Chicago. Because we don't value life. And there's penalty for that. And on and on and on and I could go. We are living with the consequences of not valuing life. Fifth point, God's view. We belong to God, including our bodies. The argument we hear over and over again is, that's my body, my choice. You can't tell me what to do with that. Oh, I wish I could spend the whole sermon talking about that, but I can't. But here's God's perspective in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to who? Yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. You have a temple. God gave it to you. You are not your own. I am not my own. Your kids are not your own. This baby is not its own. He created it and he loved it and he bought it back with a price. And the price was his son, Jesus. His blood. Isaiah 45, 9 through 11. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does a clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, Stop! You're doing it wrong! Does a pot explain, How clumsy can you be? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to its father, Why was I born? Or if it said to his mother, why did you make me this way? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and your Creator. Do you question what I do for my children? Do you give me orders about the work of my hands? We are the creation of God. Understand what he's saying? Who's in charge? God's in charge. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Who has the right to make the determination of what we do with our bodies? God does. Or our sexual lives. God does. Or about the baby growing in our room. God does. 
Sin is progressive. It will never satisfy. I always like to tell the teens when I'm with them, we worked with them, sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go, keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay, and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And we see that play out here. Five views of God. And I could go five more. But we just don't have time. So I want to go back to a quote I said at the beginning. What makes the divide tough for me is that people that claim to be Christians often line up on the opposite side that Scripture clearly states. Oh, Ryan, don't be judgmental. Have you ever looked back to writings from the 1800s? I was doing some writing, reading in college for a, a paper, and the author was a Christian, and he spoke out in defense of slavery. He was even using scripture to justify and validate his points, even though he was taking them out of context. And I was literally so sick that I threw the book down. And how Christians could live during that period and excuse slavery and even justify it and stand idly by and say nothing about it, defending something that was obviously indefensible. I wanted to shout across to this author in the century and say, that is a human given life by God. What is wrong with you? And I'm afraid future generations will look back at our, my generation. I was born two months before Roe v. Wade. And say the same thing. They are humans. What is wrong with you? How could you stand idly by? These are human lives being destroyed and ripped apart. Even if I was an atheist looking at Christians, I would call them out for their obvious inconsistency of ethics. Michigan vehicle cold. Okay, I'm going somewhere with this. 257.653. Is Dean here today? No, don't see him. Does anyone know what this is? What this stands for? I didn't either. I had to look it up, but I knew the concept. It's a traffic law. Why does the law exist? 257.653 states, if you do not move over one lane or slow down by 10 miles per hour while an officer is dealing with another driver on the side of the road, you are guilty of a misdemeanor punishable up by $500 or imprisonment not more than 90 days or both. Is it a good law? Why? Yeah, because even if you violate it and no one is hurt, you have endangered an innocent life. The stories some of our, my friends who are law enforcement officers can tell about the... There's a, just a study out this week that said the average person has 2.5 trauma experiences in their life. I don't know how you get a 0.5 trauma. But they said the average officer has over 800 trauma experiences in their life. The chance that you might endanger a human life is enough to be prosecuted legally. And everyone agrees that that is ethically consistent. So what's wrong with us? There's no question that 100% of abortion procedures end a human life. Yes, human. What other species could the baby belong to? In my experience, humans produce humans. 
Humans are humans from fertilization to natural death. Created in God's image, given lifeblood by God, and valued and known by God. We know this, but yet we draw arbitrary lines. Everyone on this side of the line is human, fully fledged. Everyone on this side of the line, it's okay to kill them. I am of the radical view that it is morally wrong to cut a baby into pieces or dissolve it in saline solution or abandon a baby in a garbage bin. Yeah, yeah, but what trimester? It doesn't matter what trimester. That is utterly irrelevant to draw a line. Think about it historically. Everybody on this side of the line, you live. Everybody on this side of the line, you go in the gas chamber. Who are we to decide who is human and who is not? God have mercy on the church. Wake up. 38 states have fetal homicide laws. If a a woman who is pregnant is driving to get an abortion and she gets in a crash and the baby is killed, the driver of the other vehicle can be charged for murder. But if the woman would make it to the abortion clinic, have the abortion, she would pay someone to have the abortion. This is obviously unethical. What is wrong with us? The only reason someone would champion this, champion this is because of deception. The enemies lie. We've got to wake up. We've got to let God's word take the blinders off. Let the Holy Spirit teach us and bring conviction and bring healing and bring forgiveness and cover us with the blood of Jesus Christ. It begins with Christians humbling ourselves and agreeing with what God says. And a mass number of people coming to Jesus Christ in revival. Abortion is just a symptom of a greater problem of sin. And the antidote is the blood of Jesus Christ. So what are you doing? Are you studying the scriptures and lining up? I know this is a controversial subject, but study the word of God. See what it says. And then what are you doing to support life? What are you doing? 